Is it time for the cybersecurity industry to grow up? That's the question we'll be tackling on this episode of the Cracking Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm Anna, editor at TICE, a leading site for cybersecurity professionals and enthusiasts alike. Peter Woolacott, CEO and founder of Huntsman Security, joins me this week to discuss the changing face of cyber risk and how businesses can better understand their cybersecurity posture. We cover security scorecards, cyber insurance, and whether it's possible to place a price on risk, as well as reflecting on how far a success GDPR has been, almost a year since its implementation. Peter, who's been in the cybersecurity industry for over 20 years, is from Australia, so I took the opportunity to ask what the UK could learn about cyber regulation from our friends in Oz. First, however, the industry veteran has called for cybersecurity to grow up. I asked him what he meant by that. Here is his response. I think that the industry is growing up. I think the industry is maturing, but I was at RSA three or four weeks ago and um, there's no end of solutions. There's no end of technological solutions for cybersecurity. But I think what's happening is that cybersecurity is moving away from, as I say, just being a technological problem to being a problem which organisations need to be able to address if they want to participate in um, online transactions and, as I say, digital transactions more broadly. And so cybersecurity is really the other side of the coin from uh, online transactions. It's an enabler that has to be resolved. A security scientist I recently interviewed went to RSA and said, actually, on the vendor floor, there's hardly any evidence of the, the words business risk being used. Now, we keep on hearing, oh, well, the CISO has to go into the boardroom and talk about business and, and the risk to the business. But yet, are vendors applying this language? The short answer is yes. The thought that there are not a lot of business risk management solutions um, on the floor at RSA is, is, is a reasonable observation. What I think is probably um, lost in the thousand or so exhibitors who are demonstrating their latest widget is some of the, some of the conversations and the keynotes which started to talk about organisations having to be prepared to disclose to their stakeholders their cybersecurity posture for, if you like, uh, public exhibition. And so um, there's an interesting thought that organisations in the future will only transact when they have two pieces of evidence or two pieces of completed due diligence. One is they have got a credit rating, uh, so that is a bit like a Dun & Bradstreet or something that says, yes, this organisation is financially um, able. And the second thing is a cyber security rating. And that is something that says that equally, in cybersecurity terms, this organisation has a measurable level of cybersecurity posture. It has the same level of cyber intent and maturity and resilience as, as our organisation. And as a result of that, we're quite comfortable to establish uh, a commercial relationship with that organisation because they share our view in terms of... Um, um, cybersecurity and uh, cyber resilience. 
And so we're comfortable that we can rely on their organisation. And the term trust index uh, emerged um, at RSA. And, and, and the thought is increasingly organisations will be required to provide to stakeholders some visualisation or some reporting that says this is our internal cyber security status. This is what we look like just as um, a Dunham Street report or any other thing. How can they measure that? The, the, the best way to measure it is use um, technologies which establish the level of risk that sits in an organisation at any particular time. And there are an increasing number, of, a, a new um, genre of technologies which are providing uh, cyber security scorecards or measurements that are saying this is the cybersecurity status of our particular organisation. And I think that in the next couple of years, there were calls for it at RSA um, in, the, uh, in the keynote conversations, and I think in the next couple of years, organisations will increasingly start to look at ensuring that people are aware of their cyber hygiene. And, you know, we all know that that's the thing that gets past us all the time. We're sold fantastic technologies that pick up APTs and they pick up movement across networks. But just the simple stuff is invariably one of the things that, ta- that, that catches us every time. Patching, whitelisting, administrative privileges, those sorts of things are the things that we need to be able to ensure that we are managing effectively and efficiently. And so technologies, cybersecurity scorecards are increasingly being able to provide that level of visibility and that level of transparency to senior executives and operational executives. But awareness seems to be quite high at the moment. But it it doesn't just take awareness, does it? What would you like to see happen in this path to maturity? What would you like to see happen to trigger change? I think these cybersecurity scorecards are going to trigger change quite significantly. I mean, there are a number of uh, vectors involved in the evolution of this, and, and, and technology is just one. Another one is the fact that um, um, the cyber security or the, the insurance market um, is starting to um, mature as well. It's, it's got a long way to go, and I was at a, at, a, at a conference the other day which reflected that in actual fact there's a significant way to go. But what the thing that cybersecurity insurance is providing business is it's providing an indication of the price of risk. So it's actually providing a market for risk. And so suddenly business is saying, well, what's the cost of that risk? And an underwriter is going to say, well, here's an underwriting premium number. That's a significant cost to you. So... What insurance is doing is it's starting to create a market for risk. And so organisations in the next year or two will increasingly say, well, what is my risk? I now know my risk. How am I going to deal with that? Can I, can I um, offload it for a premium to an underwriter to take that risk? Should I manage it or establish a better means of managing it myself? Should I get a new capability and outsource some of those management activities? But what's happening with these cyber scorecards and 
the ability to identify the risk is you can then quantify a what it is and b what it, what aspects of it you can actually manage yourself and what aspects you can ask an underwriter to ensure and so that's why I say go back to is cybersecurity maturing? Yes, it is, because here is another mechanism by which people are saying, well, actually, I can quantify that risk now because I can measure it. And if I can quantify it, I can then establish the priority, the priority in terms of how quickly I fix it or whether I seek to underwrite and have someone lay it off to an underwriter. Do you think, accompanied by that risk, do you think there's too much fear being pushed into the market? Yes, I was reading something the other day which suggested that um, um, half the fear that's injected into the cybersecurity market is actually uh, um, um, its genesis is from uh, from cybersecurity vendors. Um, that's probably not totally surprising, um, but it's not particularly it's not particularly healthy for an industry. And so that's the fear, uncertainty, and doubt argument. And I think that. By being able to measure risk, by being able to establish how I can develop a risk management plan to manage that risk is going to remove some of that reliance on fear, uncertainty and doubt. And, and, and I think two or three years ago, organisations would, when asked the question, how's your cybersecurity going, they will go down to a basement, catch up with the cybersecurity team, the guy will come out with his motorhead T-shirt and the security and, and, the, and the executive will say, so how are we going with cybersecurity? He's going to say, listen, it's good. And that's going to be the full extent of management reporting, except for the report that the executive gets that there's that many events open, there's that many events been resolved, we had that, that many DNS attacks, all information which is very operational in nature. Where we are now is we are able to say, what is what risk or what um, uh, yeah, risk controls or cyber control, controls have we got in place? How are they functioning, effectively or otherwise? And, and as a result of that, what is the residual risk that I need to manage from a cyber sp- perspective in my business? And then I can decide how I am going to manage that risk. As I say, I'll, I'll insource it and handle it myself by developing a capability or buying some new technology. I'll outsource it to a third party who can provide me managed service, and that's an option that many people are going for in cybersecurity. Or indeed, I will seek some insurance uh, underwriting to take care of some of that risk. But just like any other risk, just like insurance in your house or insurance in your motor car, there are various elements of risk that you that you insure when you're driving your motor car. And so we're now getting to the point. And, and I think we're very close, and it's the maturing of cybersecurity, it's the maturing of business, it's the maturing of insurance industry. We're now getting very close that someone says, well, there, there is the cybersecurity motor car. Now, I am going to insure that particular piece, piece of risk with this method. I'm going to improve my risk management processes here, and I'm going to outsource some of that. And that... Being able to manage it, measure it means that you can manage this risk. And we've not been in that place before. We've relied on the guy with the dog mark. Right, so it's gaining familiarity with our terrain. And measuring it. You know, sort of we haven't been able to measure these risks until now. So we can now say, well, here's the risk. This is the quantum. 
what do you want to do about it? And, and you know, I think that you will find, and already, uh, insurance underwriters are being asked to underwrite risks for organisations and they say, well, actually, you can't afford the premium. We can't underwrite you. The risks are too great. You need to identify how you, how you are going to implement a risk management strategy to reduce that down to manageable pieces of risk. So it's, it's almost a year since GDPR was introduced mm-hmm. in the yes. UK. Has it been successful and is it enough? I think it's been successful. I think that there are probably some areas of where it hasn't operated exactly as anticipated. I think the timeliness of uh, uh, reporting and, and, and response is still uh, something that um, is important. What triggers that time of reporting? I think also it's at the vanguard of what's happening internationally. I mean, I think that it's not a perfect piece of legislation, but it certainly is leading the world and big IT and, and governments to start to look at the rights of you and me in terms of our data and what happens to our data. You know, every time I go to the US, there's more conversation about we can't continue and adopt GDPR-like legislation in various states. We want a federal GDPR-like arrangement so that we can start to look after and protect um, our citizens who are using um, you know, increasingly large data managers, data users. Um, and so I think in time we'll all be doing some form of GDPR. Would you like to see more regulation put in place in the UK? There are different jurisdictions and, you know, sort of I'm an Australian and so I sort of try to make it a rule not to sort of appear in different countries recommending sort of what legislative program they should undertake. There is in cybersecurity a balance between, a necessary balance between directive and advisory activity. And different countries adopt different balances in different places. Uh, They have different priorities as to what parts of the economy they'll focus on from a directive point of view. But certainly, um, I think as we move towards a more sophisticated cybersecurity industry and we have some of those market drivers that we've talked about and some of those commercial and, and, and digital transformation type drivers, I think that organisations will need to improve their cybersecurity posture and their resilience to participate adequately in that economy. So it comes from the company itself? It comes from the company as well as guidance from NCSC and other business councils, boards, directors. They all have a part to play in legitimising this as part of the normal day-to-day risk management operations of a business. Because it's tricky because it's a borderless space, but even if you're focusing just on the UK, you, your third-party suppliers are often abroad. Sure. So it's all very well to advise, but should governments perhaps be more forthright and should they be more... What I will say is that some are. Some are. Does um, that help? It changes the landscape in terms of the speed of adoption. And so if you've got some sort of um, directive-type regime operating in conjunction with market evolution, then obviously um, provided that those directives are supportive of the general trend towards better cyber security and better protection of everybody in the economy, then... That's what we should be doing. And you're based in Australia. They've they've been accused of overreaching when it comes to regulation in the cyberspace. 
I mean, maybe you, you, you wouldn't agree with that or would agree with that. Maybe we could learn from Australia and how they do things there. Yes, most recently Australia has been accused of overreaching. And uh, I think that um, um, there was legislation passed in Australia in late 2018 in relation to policing and protective services being able to uh, access software. We have an election coming up in the next month or so, and I think both parties have... Uh, have accepted the fact that uh, probably politics got ahead of or in the way of a lot of other um, uh, elements of the decision. And so both parties have, uh, have promised to review that legislation. I think that um, there are... It's not clear how it's going to work. It hasn't been made clear to the IT industry in Australia yet how it's going to work. And I think that what's happening right now with the, with the election, I think it's going to circumvent that. And so... I, it will be reopened. It's something that needs to be resolved because it we're, we're, we're sort of um, um, Australia is making progress in 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 cyber security. Recently, the Australian Essential Eight Directive, which is a requirement that organisations monitor eight KPIs, security KPIs, and provide a measurement of that. Um, on a regular basis, and that's been that's been a directive which has been requested of government departments. That is now rolling through to uh, critical national infrastructure organisations and increasingly organisations that do business with uh, with government. And so, if you're a major um, integrator, then you may well request that all your supply chain participants are essential aid compliant, and. That obviously is forcing organisations to address their cyber hygiene more carefully to ensure that they're in a position to be able to identify their cyber resilience level. And that means that when the government does business with consumers or whether it does business with other members of its supply chains, its various supply chains, it has a level of understanding of what the cyber posture level is of the participants of those supply chains. And I think that that's a good thing. That gives everybody confidence that even the weakest link in the supply chain is, is, is meeting a certain level of security compliance. So we're heading in the right direction. Listen, I think we are. I, I think that, you know, and, and, and um, as I say, various, various jurisdictions are going at various speeds. Um, the Essential 8, for example, is not at all dissimilar from your top 10. What I do notice about the Essential 8 is that those eight criteria or those eight KPIs are essentially a universal language of good cyber controls or good cyber hygiene. So those eight controls are not unique to us. Not unique to you, they're not unique to the US, they're not unique to Japan. They are a universal language of what you need to be doing to improve your cyber resilience. That's it for this week. We are on Twitter at TICE, that's T E I S S, where you can follow our stories, videos, and other podcasts. Check out our site too, that's ties.co.uk. There's always plenty of fresh news and advice for CISOs and security industry professionals. For now, it's bye from us. 
Join us next time for more Cyber Conversations.